Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast number 6. Today, Pastor Roy Burkett will be speaking from John chapter 5. The title of today's message is Lord of the Sabbath. We will be looking at Jesus' interaction with the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Here's Pastor Roy Burkett from Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. in God's house with God's people singing praises to the Lord today. We are privileged to have some guests with us today, some dear friends of ours from Virginia that came and took in the dinner theater this weekend, Tom and Linda Gregory. They've been here a few times and so we've been enjoying their company. Um, They head back tomorrow so you can pray for them as they have safety and travel back tomorrow. Um. Is Mary Helen, did she make it this morning? I don't know if she made it or not. Um, it has been a full weekend of dinner theater. And I know we had a, quite a few from the Bethesda family involved in that. In fact, if you were involved in that, would you just stand in any way, shape, or form? Not necessarily just the drama, but there was food, there were host people. Just would you stand real quick so we can see how many? Yes. Give them a hand for their labors. Thank you very much. Yes. And uh, how many of you attended this weekend? Yeah, lots of hands. It was a, it was a great uh, play. In fact, I had several compliments on uh, my talk, not necessarily the content, but the length of it, that it was short. So I'm getting the message, uh, what we're looking for here. Um, so today we're going to continue our series uh, going through the Gospel of John. Who do you believe? We're picking up in John chapter 5 today. And we're talking about Lord of the Sabbath. I really only figure there's three points in the outline, but I'm really only anticipating to do two. In fact, I don't even think I put the third one on the uh, PowerPoint. Because each of these two points I think are significant, and I don't want to rush through them. And I thought, well, we can always come back and pick back up. And so I would like to take time to to work through those. Uh, But if you would, follow along with me as I read down through uh, the opening verses of John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But, he replied, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. We'll stop there this morning. I do find it interesting that in this passage, 
that Jesus focuses on a sick man. I don't know about you, but men are wimps when it comes to sickness. Is it not true? How many men besides me will admit you're a wimp when you're sick? Come on, come on. All right, you think, you know, you thought you were going to die two or three times? Well, a number of years ago, when we lived in Virginia, we lived in a split four-year home, and I was, I was really ill, and I was laying in bed up there, and I do have a tiny ornery streak to me every once in a while, and I had time to think, and so I'm laying up in bed, and I'm like, my wife is working downstairs. I could call her on my cell phone and disguise my voice because we don't have caller ID. And so I called her, and she was down there working, and I tried to make my voice sound a little bit female-ish. And I said, is Pastor Roy there? She said, I'm sorry, he's not available right now. Well, I really need to talk to Pastor Roy. And um, she said, I'm sorry, he is not feeling well this evening. And uh, could I take a message? You know, I really need to talk to Pastor Roy. And I went on for a couple of minutes, and I'm just about dying inside. She has not picked up that it's me. And I didn't think I could do that good a job, and I did. And finally, I just broke down and started laughing. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. Could you please bring me some ginger ale? (laughs) Anyhow, it it spices up life a little bit. Um, It was good. But here, this man had been sick for 38 years, and there was no way he could get well. Author and professor Haddon Robinson observed, Life is unjust. Upon accepting an award, the late Jack Benny once remarked, I really don't deserve this, but I have arthritis, and I don't deserve that either. This man probably thought, you know, I don't deserve this sickness, but I, but I have it. And this is a third miracle that Jesus does. And what's interesting about this miracle versus the other miracles is when he performs this one, the Jews get upset. Before they were embracing him, oh, this is great, this is great. Now all of a sudden they are ticked off and they are in an uproar because Jesus has healed this man and not just healed him, but he healed him on the Sabbath. And that was the problem that they really had. Why is John telling us this sad story of so many sick people? I mean, just can you picture a pool? It's a double pool. It's colonnaded all around it. And there's a bunch of sick people laying around. The smell of death had to be in the air. And Jesus picks one person out of the crowd of a whole group of sick sick people, guy who had been there 38 years, probably the most unlikely candidate, and Jesus heals him. And when I read that story, I got to say, why did Jesus only heal one when he had the power to go through that entire community of sick people and heal them all? And I think Jesus is driving home a point in the reason John tells this story. And I think the point is in our first point. It is a gift of grace. You know, when we realize our condition apart from Christ... And I want to give us a description of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. We realize that what Christ has done in us is nothing more than a gift of grace. 
And I think that's what he's trying to convey. Jesus is not simply conveying, and John, conveying a story about a sick person physically. He is relating that to us who are sick spiritually. That we have no means of survival apart from Jesus Christ. We are spiritually sick. And we need someone to make us well. And that's what he's telling him. In in Romans 5, 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The American Standard Version translates this verse as, We were weak, that the love of God would be shown to us. Two other translations use the word helpless. And then there's other words used like infirm, feeble, Unable to achieve anything great, destitute of power among men. The point is this, without Christ, we are disabled. We're all disabled people. We're all sick people. We're all unable to help ourselves spiritually. You see, a lot of people walk around, they dress nice and they look nice and sound nice. But if they haven't come to Jesus Christ and haven't understood that they're a sinner and they're sick and they need to get well... They're dying in their sin. They're as helpless as this man who's laying at the pool and can't get in the pool without Jesus helping him get to the pool. We cannot come to Christ unless Jesus is willing to come to us. And he did when he came to the cross. This man was weak, helpless, and hopeless apart from the power of Christ. And that's what he wants us to see in this. I can only imagine this man had a keen sense of loneliness You know, when you're sick and you're around a group of sick people, it's not a pleasant environment. It can be very depressing and lonely and a feeling of isolation and separation from the rest of the world. Anything festive or joyous would have been not even in the picture. Without Christ, we are hopeless. There's no possible means. I don't know how anybody could believe they could ever change in their life, apart from Jesus Christ. There's no possible way we can. We cannot even grasp spiritual truth unless God reveals it to us. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There's no way you can understand the Bible. And that's why some people will not even read it because they say, you know, I read it and it doesn't make any sense. It will not make sense to you until the Spirit of God touches your heart and begins to share with you the truth of Scripture. It is a divine book inspired by God and the only one that really understands it is God. And he's the only one that can reveal that truth to us. And so I would encourage you, if you are sitting there and you say, you know what, that's me. I don't understand the Bible at all. Then you need to pray right now in your seat and say, God, please give me understanding about this book in which you reveal yourself to mankind. Would you even pray that silently to yourself? And we all need to pray that to ourselves because we can't understand it. He says in John eight forty three, why is my language not clear to you? Jesus said, He said, because you are unable to hear what I say. He didn't mean audibly. He's saying you are unable to understand what I'm trying to communicate. In 2 Peter 2.14, he says, he was talking about false teachers and stuff. He says, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. 
You see, sinners cannot stop sinning on their own apart from the power of God, just as this man who was sick could not get himself well apart from the power of God. Let me give three things here. Notice what he says down in verse 3. Here is a great number of people, disabled people, used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. He gives three descriptive words to talk about these sick people. Okay, so let's look at the first one, blind. This blind condition uh, is those who have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. If God has not spoken to you and revealed to yourself that you are a sinner and you need Jesus Christ in your life to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of your sin and make you a new person, you cannot simply turn over a new leaf and begin to do the right thing. It will not last. You will sin. You will fall short of the glory of God. You are blind to the truth, the Bible says very clearly. We see that even back in John chapter 3. Remember when we studied the story of Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he's like, well, how can a man be born when he is old? He was totally blind to the truth. We saw the same thing in John chapter 4. The woman at the well, she's like, well, where is this living water? And he was right in front of her, totally blind to the truth. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says this. The God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's not just any unbeliever, that's all unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There was a time in my life when Roy Burkett was blind to his sin. There was a time in your life when you were blind to your sin, and Jesus had to reveal it to you through the Holy Spirit. And he does that as we come and we understand the scripture. God opens that understanding to us as we hear it. It is vital. In Matthew 13, 13, he says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. What he's saying is he's saying they can't hear spiritually and they can't see spiritually because they are spiritually deaf and spiritually blind. And this is the example of this man, and this is our condition before God when we are apart from Christ. The second thing he offers is that the man was lame. There were lame people there. Lame people cannot walk. They can't move from point A to point B. Somebody has to move them. And this is the point. You and I cannot even begin to move toward God into a personal relationship unless the Spirit of God begins to stir something inside of me to recognize I even have a spiritual hunger. And once I recognize I have a spiritual vacuum in my life and a hunger, the Spirit of God begins to work and to draw me to God But I cannot come to God myself. In fact, this man couldn't even move toward Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Jesus moved toward him. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus moves toward us. Because we can't move toward him. It's vital for us to understand. Because when we have the super summer jam this summer, there's going to be people who are blind and people who are lame. And we need to be praying for them. They have no way of getting to Jesus. Jesus has to come to them. 
Matthew 9, 2 even gives that example. He says, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. But men brought this paralytic to Jesus. See, when we are lame, we can't even make a move toward God. And I hope you get that picture in your mind that we are helpless, we are weak, we are powerless apart from Jesus Christ. So many people want to do it themselves, and we can't. The third aspect here is paralyzed. A person who is paralyzed can't move at all. They're absolutely helpless. Absolutely helpless. And Paul gives that idea in Romans 7, 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Have you ever been there? You're like, I want to do good, I want to do good, but I end up doing wrong. Do you know why? Because you have a sin nature inside of you that is opposed to God, that is opposed to righteousness. And the only way you can deal with that sin nature and have victory over it is to give your life to Jesus Christ, to acknowledge your sinfulness, your weakness, your frailty, your inability, your feebleness, and say, God, I need you. And the reason I'm stressing this point so much is because the multitude and mass of society, that's where they live today. We, the church, need to share that message with them and pray that the Spirit of God would touch their heart as only he can. The Bible says, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. John six forty four. This man had been disabled for 38 years, and Jesus asked him an interesting question. Look down in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now give me a break. <laughs> Who doesn't want to get well that's been sick for 38 years? Three hours. Three days. Why did Jesus ask him that? I think to find out, did he really want to get well? I have counseled with some people that just wanted to share their story, wanted to share their hurts and their pains and frustrations, but I don't think they really wanted out. They wanted somebody to listen, and they didn't really want to get well. Because they just want to continue in their sin and there was no change in their life. And you'd meet with them week after week after week and same problem, same problem, same problem and no life change. So sometimes you have to ask people, do you want to get well? Do you really want Jesus to be involved in your life? Do you really want God to change your life? If you do, you have to humble yourself and acknowledge your weakness. <laughs> and I think that's what he's telling him. So he asked the man, do you really want to get well? I think that's a legitimate question we ask people living in sin. Do you want to be delivered from your sin? Or do you want God to somehow bless your sin? I've worked with people and they, they justify their sin and then they want God to bless them in their sin. And he will not do that. He just will not do that. He wants to deliver us just as he wanted to deliver this man. And bring him to Christ. So Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? He's like, I don't have anyone to put me in the water when it stirred. I don't understand how that water stirred mysteriously. An angel supposedly stirred it. I don't understand how all that worked. But in essence, you know, the guy's like, you know, it's not my fault. 
<laughs> I'm a victim of circumstance here. And I've heard people use that too. Well, you don't understand my circumstance. You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, I may not, but I know Jesus does. <laughs> and that's more important. But Jesus heals him and he picks up his mat and walks. Now let's move on to number two, a word of warning. Picking up, it says in verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he said, I was told to do that. And down in verse 12, they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? He didn't have any idea who it was. Now, think about this. How ridiculous of the Jews to see that kind of a miracle and say, who is this man that's breaking the Sabbath? I mean, they were so more concerned about their rules and regulations. And here was the problem. The Jews... That, that phrase is used about 70 times in the Gospel of John. And in most occasions, it's referred to in a negative way because he's talking about the Jews who became legalistic about the law. They became so legalistic, they added laws upon laws upon laws to carry out the Sabbath or any other thing that Jesus had put, God had put before them. And why do people do that? Why do we make a list of rules? I think because we want to gain favor and acceptance before God by checking off all the boxes and saying, God, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I'm accomplishing. Look what I'm doing. And Jesus is not impressed with that because he's more concerned about relationship, far more than rules. And can you imagine them condemning Jesus for performing an act of grace on the Sabbath day and thinking that is work? Jesus is saying when we perform acts of grace, that is not work on the Sabbath day. If we are helping someone through something, that's an act of grace. You're not abusing the Sabbath day, you're honoring it. And honoring God in the process. So the healing takes place on the Sabbath and the Jews are ticked off. We'd rather boast about the rules we keep rather than to acknowledge our weakness and say we need the grace of God in our lives. Secondly, the Jews believe Jesus committed a crime by healing on the Sabbath, thereby breaking a law of the Sabbath. Now, if we go back into Genesis chapter 2, just real quick, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, or actually verse... Um, Two and three. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So here, God, was he tired? I think he was instituting a plan for man that we would have a period of rest and recuperation. And then if we go over to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, and just listen to these verses, beginning in verse 23, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Why? Because God wanted them to rest. He wanted them to pause and reflect. And therefore, he had no work for them to do. Now, let me say quickly, we have farmers here. I know you have tasks to do, sometimes on Sunday. I'm not condemning that. In fact, I'm embracing that because you are being responsible for what God has entrusted to you. And there are some things that have to be done. Firemen, policemen, hospital workers. uh, There are certain people that have to work. But I am very thankful for many of our farmers and many others who make the Lord's Day a, a priority, who make worship a priority. Thank you for doing that because I think God honors that. And I appreciate the fact that you do that. What was the Sabbath designed to do? Firstly, the Sabbath was designed to be a weekly festival that was to be observed in homes and synagogues among the Israelites. Now, we don't already have time to read this this morning, but if we went back into Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to jot it down, Leviticus chapter 23, and just read down through those first several verses, it talks about that whole idea that the Sabbath is to be a holy convocation before the Lord. And I think we've lost that idea. And yes, we don't even have time to get into the fact that the Sabbath is really on Saturday and the Lord's Day is on Sunday. Maybe next week we can talk about that and why we worship on Sunday versus Saturday. I'd be glad to talk about that. We don't have time to do that this morning. But I would be glad to talk about that. But the whole idea here is it was to be a sacred assembly. I think we've lost that idea of a sacred assembly and... The idea is not legalism. It's saying, God, you're the priority in my life, and I recognize you as a priority in my life, and I recognize you delivered me from my helplessness and my weakness and my hopelessness, and you saved me by a gift of your grace, and I'm acknowledging that and giving you first place in my life. And if there is anything in my life that would hinder that, then that is second place, and you are first place, and I acknowledge that by coming in a sacred assembly to say, God, you are first. It's crucial in our lives. We have lost that idea. Secondly, it was a structured time during their festivals for reverence of God and reflection on his goodness. Listen carefully. A reverence of God and a reflection on his goodness. It was used to promote God's goodness and not to control human behavior. (laughs) But what did the Jews do? Well, let's make a rule. Let's make a rule. Let's make a rule. And they had rule upon rule. You see, you couldn't walk more than a thousand yards on the Sabbath day. If you walked more than a thousand yards, they said you were in sin. So what did they do? They would put a rope at the end of the road, and that meant it was one house. You could actually walk that entire street then and go a thousand yards beyond the rope. (laughs) 
So eventually, and then you could even prepare a meal on Friday night and have it delivered to another house so you could walk to that house and eat the meal. And that would give you the authority to walk another thousand yards. <laughs> you could walk halfway across Palestine if you put the meals in the right places. I mean, that's what they wanted to do is live by these rules. Oh, and by the way, it was a, if, if you had to carry something on the Sabbath, they considered it a burden. What, how heavy could the item be? What about a handkerchief? It was work if you carried it. So what did they do? How could they move the handkerchief? They had to tie it around their neck. They could carry it to where they wanted to that way, and they could take it off and then put it down. How ridiculous. If they were walking along the road and they spit, and their spit landed in the dirt and made a little furrow in the dirt, you worked, you dug a hole, <laughs> had to land on a rock. I mean, it was ridiculous. And that's where a lot of people are today. And that's not what Jesus is trying to say. It is a time for reverence of God and a reflection of his goodness. And that's what it should be. And Jesus took it very seriously. So Jesus heals this man. They don't know who it is. But they weren't asking who healed him so they could go and congratulate him. They were looking to lynch him. And kill him. Because if you look down in verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him and eventually killed him. That's what they wanted to do. The third thing here is cessation of labor. Each week of work is to be finished by the Sabbath. That's what they hope to do. Jesus said, if we went back into Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, you would see that very idea. It says this in Exodus 16, 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. If you want to bake, you bake. If you want to boil, you boil. But the seventh day, you rest. So it was a cessation of labor. And by the way, in Egypt, they had a 10-day Work week. There really wasn't a period of rest there. And Jesus institutes this period of rest. And then he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He has created a day of rest and recuperation. And we need to abide by that. There was a, a boy, Elliot Huck, at age 14 from Bloomington, Indiana... He decided to skip a preliminary to the National Spelling Bee. Though he placed 45th out of 250 spellers in last year's competition, this was in 2007, and he was favored to go again, he felt convicted to stay at home this time around. And the reason was is because they were holding the event on Sunday. In his eyes, the competition conflicted with his view of the biblical commandment to rest on the Sabbath. Even though he was an expert speller, he concluded, I have just accepted that God knows what's best, and I'm just going to do what he says. (laughs) I thought, what a great attitude. May God help us to reverence him. You know, the Bible says as the evil days approach, so much more should we assemble together as believers. Not in a legalistic way, because we need the Lord. We're helpless and we're weak apart from Christ. 
Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. What is God saying to you? Are you sick spiritually this morning? If your number was called up, would you be ready to meet the Lord? And what would you say to him? If you were to stand before God right now, this very moment, and you had to give an answer, and Jesus said, why should I let you, and put your name in there, into heaven, what would you say? Because I did this, or because I'm this kind of person? If you start off with because I, and it doesn't fill in any more than I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, nothing else will get you in. Because we can go back to God's revelation in his word that tells us that. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, the Bible says. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are spiritually sick, but Jesus wants to make you well. He has a reservoir of grace that he will apply to your sin if you are willing to acknowledge your weakness, your sinfulness, your inability, your disability to him. He will make you able. He will give you his spirit And that will give you understanding into the scripture. And your appetite for God will grow. Your appetite for scripture will grow. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, and we have received the gift of grace. Oh, God, help us be a channel of his grace. We have the super summer jam coming. We have Easter coming. Do you have that prayer list of people that you know are disabled spiritually? paralyzed, lame, blind, and pray over that list and invite them to church. Invite them to come and prayerfully invite them. Expect them to want to come. And super summer jam that we would pray that God would reap a harvest of souls for him. If you have questions, be shaking hands in the back. You can talk to myself or somebody else. But please, if you have questions or you would like somebody to pray with you or, or you would like to talk about something, we would love to, to meet with you and talk with you. Don't be embarrassed. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you that you gave us a gift of grace when we were blind, lame, paralyzed, disabled, unable to even walk toward you, understand you, know who you are. But you saw us as sick people. And you said you came not for the well, but for the sick. We thank you for this example, this man's life that you transformed. And God, how you transformed our lives, I thank you that I said yes to you as a boy. Best decision I've ever made in my life. Lord, if there's someone here today who is not spiritually well, I pray that they will come to you and realize that you will come to them in their lameness and blindness. 
and meet them where they are. That you want to change their life more than they want to be changed. And that your grace is sufficient for what they think can't happen, you can do. Lord, I also thank you that you're Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, we need to give you the reverence that is due your name. We need to take time to pause in our lives and reflect. We're way too busy. And slow down and pause and meditate on the greatness of our God. Thank you for many in our church who make it a priority. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us today. We ask that you would give us hearts that are sensitive to the lost and reach out to them with a message of grace. We give you the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check out our website at www.bchweb.org or on our Facebook page, Bethesda Church of Huron.